0: You start meeting those bottom needs, those middle needs, and then you're climbing your way to that top of that pyramid, which as you know, is that self-actualization level,
1: and that's how you build a better life. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast, where we showcase phenomenal individuals who have overcome serious traumas, life obstacles, and challenges to find their own path to fearless happiness. Listen as Max Naist invites guests from all around the world to share their experiences and spread strength, hope, and faith. This is the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and this is Max Naist. All right,
2: everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in this world. You know who it is. It's Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today, and it's funny because We've kind of known each other in passing in the groups that we run around with, like, you know, uh, and I always I've listen. He's a great comedian, um, but you got to hear his story. So what I like to do, Patrick, is have you introduce yourself, who you are, what it is you do, and just let the audience know who you are right now.
0: Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, buddy. Um, my name is Patrick Laborio. I am... 53 years old. I had to think about that. <laughs> um it's, it's getting sad. Um been sober a long time as a matter of fact. I, I is it the 20th right now as we're recording this. I I got about 5 more days until I um get my 21st year of Holy sobriety, man. so that's kind of exciting. Yay. Um I as you said, I'm a professional comedian. I've been doing stand-up comedy since the early 90s. Uh actor, I've been in a about 85 commercials a lot of TV shows and movies and such uh currently and for the last 20 years believe it or not along with comedy I've been a addiction and mental health counselor so I I enjoy that work as well enjoy working with people and trying to get them on a path of recovery as well so and I I love to hike
2: (laughs) no I was gonna say you know it's funny Patrick, everybody got to know, like Patrick and I know a lot of the same people, but we never really like talked, right? Because we belong, and I grew up in Orange County. That's where I got sober, right? That's where I know you from, yeah. from mm-hmm. our meetings and, you know, and and seeing your shows and, and you know, like, hey, that guy's funny. And then I'd ask my friend, who's that? That's Patrick, right? Well, uh, in September, I'll celebrate 20. So we're close in, oh, in age in our wow. recovery. So wow, I knew, you know what? I was
0: trying to guess how many years you have because i thought to myself you either have the same like time that i have or like we're we're within it i knew we were within like a year or so i i i knew that yeah it's so bizarre wow
2: so everybody i want you to listen up when this guy speaks right he's been through a lot of stuff um you know he and i know that sometimes getting sober is not the easiest thing right At least our brains don't tell us like we want to do our own thing right or our bodies want us to do other things so what Mm -hmm. i like to do patrick tell my audience some of the challenges like growing up and stuff that you know what led to your addiction and then ultimately what made you decide like enough's enough i gotta change and then becoming a comedian right and those have its own challenges right because it's a tough business right but i gotta tell you this man is a very funny man you know it's. And then what I really inspires me about Patrick is I've been following this guy for a while now and he's into these hikes and I'm not talking, Hey, I just went on a two mile hike and I'm feeling good. Like this guy goes, I just did 22 miles, everybody. And yeah, I'm feeling, you know I mean, I'm like, yeah, Patrick, go show them one for the old man. You know what I mean? Like go show these young whippersnappers how it's done. But um, if you would like share your story with my audience and like where it all began what happened mm-hmm. you know as they say what happened what it was like what happened sure. or what it's like today sure
0: well I'd love to man that's what it's all about well I mean I I was born in Hawaii on the Big that? Island and I um never knew my father that that's probably the first major traumatic thing in my life is that I I never I have no memory of him and he was n- never in my life um funny thing was later down the road when i started getting known as a comedian <laughs> there was a newspaper article written about me and being on a couple tv shows at the time with david spade and um I, a, a brother and sister that i didn't even know existed uh contacted me from that article <laughs> years and years later um and he had this we have the same exact name so My dad was not a creative person. (laughs) We're both Patrick, which I thought was so fitting for, and, and, and again, I have no ill will toward him. Um, I let that go years ago. Um, I'm not, I I've told the story. I'm not very emotional about it, but, um, it was, it was a traumatic experience to grow up without a father. It, it just Mm -hmm. is. And my hat goes off to everybody who's a father, a stepfather. You know somebody who steps in and and takes care of someone's kids when they're not theirs um any male influence is a big deal so you know i just know as i got older what i missed you know but you know i had a really tough mom i i grew up in orange county i we moved to orange county when i was three and a half maybe and um so i don't have a lot of memories of why my first memory is a child was an 8.3 earthquake uh followed (laughs) by a tidal wave that wiped out downtown Hilo. so it's the first memory i had was literally the hallway shaking the roof above me cracking and it's just a massive tidal wave um so we we moved from hawaii to california um we were very poor um we grew up in a neighborhood where literally the first street I lived on was about a mile long. And I think there were two dads on the whole street. And, uh, I would soon find out, you know, what happened to most of these kids. Um, not good things. Um, grew up around a lot of, um, just a lot of poverty, a lot of kids involved in some very shady things, drugs, gangs, violence, just things that weren't good, you know? Right, and where I came from, the only thing that we had to look forward to because nobody owned anything. We lived in apartments, single moms, um, we were lucky to own a crappy car, yes you know? <laughs> right, and um <laughs> so all we had were sports, you know, um, if it wasn't bad enough growing up poor, I was uh at a severe dyslexia, so I was behind in reading um for the kindergarten first grade second grade had to start going to school early um to to read and and staying after to to continue reading and uh kids made fun of me when i was um a kid and i was really small as a kid um when i was really young um but i i started playing baseball and football at a young age you know eight nine years old and uh i was good immediately and that was my whole identity growing up uh the that was the only thing i thought i ever had was sports um my mom pushed all the kids you know my mom raised all the kids um so it was tough for her. but um i became really good right away and as a result that was the only thing in my life that i could identify with and my mom who God rest her soul my mom died about 18 months ago and um i just we had a great relationship which i'll get into later after getting sober we had 18 or 19 really good years uh of a relationship with her after i got sober before she passed away which was great i i'm very grateful for that but growing up she was really really tough you know she was put a lot of pressure on me everything had to be perfect and I was never told that I was good. I was just told what I didn't do right. <laughs> and um I think my anxiety and fear started in the early years, just growing up, moving around a lot because we didn't have a lot of money. Um, having always having people help us out with things. We had to move to my grandma's a couple of times because, you know, we couldn't pay the rent. And um The pressure my mom put on me. I I lived in a constant state of fear of abandonment, fear of something happening to my mom, fear of not being good enough. And when that got into my teenage years, when I when I got really really good at football, wrestling, baseball, um, and I went to a public school, and and modern day actually came after me when I was in middle school. uh, They started looking at me in the seventh grade because I, I was just like a man child. Um. And, uh, so as the stakes rose, so did the pressure. And, um, I, when I got to high school, there was such a fear of not getting a scholarship, I guess that, and not getting my grades high enough and so forth and so on, that I remember drinking the first time when I was in like the eighth grade. And I mean, I, it was immediately hooked. You know that young and then as a sophomore in high school uh, i did cocaine for the first time and within literally two or three months i was involved with a bunch of kids that were whose parents were high level drug dealers that turned into some really bad things that happened in my life some really bad trauma but um i was a big coke head and drinker all through high school i ended up flunking out of high school believe it or not uh got in trouble i had to spend some time in jail and um you know long story short i i had a lot of recruiters looking at me for baseball and football um had to go to junior college um got my grades up and this is the severity of the disease max here the the thing is I remember, you know, getting my act together, working really hard, training really hard. Um, I was on a football team at Santa Ana College that was a bad call away from winning a national championship. Um we were we were a great team. And um getting it together, but I went from being a coke head to the drinking actually became bigger than the cocaine. And when I look back on it now, what I know now from all my years in psychology and being a counselor and, and being a group facilitator is that the drinking and the drugs weren't the problem. You know, the, the pro, that was my solution. Right. Uh, the problem was, was the fear, the fear of abandonment. It was the anxiety. It was the fear of not being good enough. It was people say that, you know, the second part of step one, because our, why is it become unmanageable and right. i think i drank alcohol so i didn't have to manage anything
3: <laughs> right
0: uh, i do not want to manage anything so i mean i i transferred to a four year school in west virginia uh you know i was a two year starter but the sad part is i was i never ended my career like i should have um i was never as fast as i could have been as good as i could have been i was inconsistent and a lot of it was just i was partying too much i wasn't taking it seriously um i don't know how i graduated but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um i graduated with a degree in journalism and, and then um shortly after that started my stand-up career and and my acting career i had done some theater acting as a kid and um, started doing open mics and uh basically I, I won some really big contests as a young comedian um, I was hanging around a lot of guys, ironically that were also good. We were all really, really good, and I looked at at most of the guys that I hung out with in my when in my twenties when I was doing stand up, every single one of them is famous except me. I mean all of them um, and uh, you know, it kind of makes you think, you know right um, people ask me today, you know what happened. And I said, what do you mean? What happened? And, uh, this, you know, all these guys that you were around, everybody was big. Like, well, how come you weren't? And I said, su- I'm honest. I, I didn't work hard enough. You know, I, I stopped working and that fear of rejection started to creep back in me. Right. And the drinking became worse to where I'd be touring around the country. I'd forget what city I was in. I, I, I'd be hungover, sleep for th- you all day sometimes. and it just got to be a disaster you know um and somewhere around the age of 30 um i said something awful to the head of nbc entertainment <laughs> and uh i threw the mic at her, and i was banned from the laugh factory for life and um by that time i i had been in in dozens and dozens of commercials made a lot of money i'd i done numerous tv spots and been in some movies and and i i could have been i could have done really well and i basically i don't know if it was at a subconscious level but basically i i sabotaged it you know right and i think The more I drank, the more that fear of failure and fear of responsibility. You know what I'm talking about, Max? I do. That fear of having to shoulder responsibility along with the good things that came with that, you know, and the inability to be consistently working hard. Right. Uh, my, my, My problem was being on time. My problem was consistency. My problem was shouldering responsibility. I didn't want to do it. And as we all know with addicts and alcoholics, it's a maturity level that is stunted. When our disease gets into full bloom, we stop growing. You know, that's yeah. why we see 35 year old newcomers that um, are still acting like they're in middle school. Right. And, and I, I was one. Of them. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right here, too. Um, so, long story short, you know, I basically lost everything I had. People often ask me, you know, what was my bottom? And I am honest there too. The, my bottom was I was out of cash. Seriously. I had no more credit. I was out of money. I was out of friends that were willing to do me favors and, and let me stay with them. I was out of friends that would loan me money. And had I not had the well not run dry so I gotta be honest. I may have kept drinking till I died. Right. So I, I did not really quit. I would say by choice I I was kind of my hand was forced a little bit in the fact that my resources to drink were gone. So out of desperation another comedian took me to my first meeting July 25th 2002 and uh, I've been sober ever since. Um I got I got one of those sponsors that you know you know what is you know like Yoda just <laughs> they got like <laughs> 200 years sober, you know. I'm uh-huh. um, calling out every excuse in the book. What when you can't do something? So
2: <laughs> that's what I call my sponsor, my Yoda. Yeah, he, uh, you know, because if you think about it, right, they 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 don't yell at us, right? They're almost right. like moms, right? Because moms know when they yell at us, we're just gonna go, I'm gonna do whatever I want, mom, right? But when they give uh-huh. us that, you know, that silent treatment, like you know what I mean, then uh-huh. we feel like this big, right? Because we're like, oh shoot. I really pissed off mom. She's giving me the silent treatment. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and my sponsor was always the same way. Right. Just, he would just suggest right. And in a, in a kind loving way. And they'd be like, okay, I'm just letting you know, this is what I did. And you know what I mean? And there'd be uh-huh. times, you know, as you know, I would go, you know, I'm not going to do what he says. Matter of fact, I'm going to, do the opposite right because don't you tell me what to do right that attitude
0: (laughs) oh god yeah i mean and and that's indicative of um of of an addictive personality um you know as a counselor and as a group facilitator of mental health now one of the things that i try to advocate is self-efficacy they're gonna want to have to do this for themselves i give suggestions that's what i do I tell them how I got sober, and uh my sponsor did the same thing. My sponsor was really good about telling me, not telling me what to do, but more telling me what what he knows to work from experience. Yeah. And what that approach was was so much less offensive to me that you know I was willing to listen. I he had a life that I wanted. He was laughing more than me, you know. Right, exactly. Right. And, and he, um,
2: that's yeah, why, so, you know, for for almost 20 years me too i've had the same sponsor right because of what you just said it was his approach it wasn't like the drill instructors you know like we've seen you know you've seen it i've seen it there's guys in the rooms that'll just like point their fingers and you're gonna do this and you know with me and, and you i don't know but i know with me you do that i'm like i'm out see ya i ain't working with you know what i mean like see ya. get your finger out of my face Mm-hmm. But see, we have similar stories, Patrick, where I can see, like, I was the same way. I grew up, my dad and mom divorced early, right? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't see him for for years, right? Years and years and years, right? It's just my mom. And my mom was like your mom. I don't know, these tough Asian ladies, they don't take no crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my mom was five foot, maybe on a good day, but she walked around like she was six foot five and, right, didn't take my crap. My brothers, none of our, Right but she also loved us and made sure we had everything we needed right we we weren't the richest like you said but we had food in our bellies and and like you you know that that abandonment issue really messed with me right because the last Mm -hmm. time I ever saw my dad you know the thing he said to me and I shared this before on my with my guests and on this podcast is he promised he'd be back for my birthday I was 10 years old right I was getting ready to turn 11 and you know, by just hearing your story already, right? Like, so you're okay. I haven't seen my dad. Cool, my dad's coming back. He's gonna be here for my birthday, right? Well, my birthday came and went. No dad, right? And then I find out he passes away.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was 11. You know, I wasn't sad. I was pissed. I was angry. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how dare you break your promise? Well, you know, mm-hmm. your dad just passed away of a man. I don't, I didn't give him permission to die of a heart attack. He was supposed to yeah. be here, you know, in that little brain of mine. Right. And you were 10. I was 11 when that oh, I, he came wow. because my birthday had come and went. And, you know, so I know that feeling you're talking about that, that. Right. And then because I look like my dad so much, my mom would put that pressure on me, like those expectations, like your dad was up here. I expect you to be the same. Right. Mm -hmm. Or did you ever get this? Well, I don't know if you did, but my mom would say if your dad was here, he'd whip the shit out of you. And, you know, he would expect so much more of you. And right. Mm -hmm. And I did the typical right pre addiction. Right. Well, you tell me what to do. I'm not doing it. I'm doing the opposite. You tell me I'm I'm a loser. I'm going to show you how good a loser I am. Right. Mm right and then the addiction comes and you know the whole story and i had to battle those those demons too where it was just like always not thinking i was good enough right the guilt and the shame especially after getting sober right when you're stark raving sober right all those feelings come back and you know our drinking and drugging was our solution right we didn't want to feel that Mm -hmm. stuff so right Mm -hmm. you know like you i had to learn to just go okay I need to change i don't know how i'm gonna do it so i'm gonna listen to this man who's yoda telling me max use the force right (laughs) yeah you can do it luke um and but like you said i i'm just like you when it comes to facilitating groups and and counseling right is Mm -hmm. i try to teach them i said look you're your own biggest advocate i'm here to support you right um here's what i did right See what you can do. Pick and choose what works for you and what doesn't, doesn't, right? <laughs> oh, someone listening in.
0: No. My, oh. my my girlfriend walked in and is uh. doing some sexy dance trying to distract me. How dare
3: <laughs> you? I love but, it.
0: <laughs> love it. But um, you know I'm like, you... to touch base. I just real quick, uh yeah, before of I forget to tell you, my dad died when I was 14. And um I, you know like i said i never knew him i never never got a phone call never got a letter nothing and my mom just came picked me up from a friend's house one day when i was 14 and said he died no one told me he was sick nothing uh yeah see i know that i was shocked at how much it hurt at the time um not knowing him at all but it still hurt right and
2: that's and that's why i kind of i think along the same lines as you do right i give credit to those dads who are present the stepdads who have stepped in yeah you know even boyfriends who are stepping in and being that father figure too Mm because you and i know it might have turned out different if we had our dads right we can't change it right but we know it could have turned out different and like you i never got letters or like i don't remember much except for that time i just shared with you where he came yeah. back and we were seeing him and everything was cool i promise i'll be back you know that was the last promise he made to me right you know and this 11 old kid i was like how dare you break that promise yeah you know and, that's and a
0: big thing too for any kid and it, i i live that with so many of my friends that i grew up with their dad's making that same promise right oh, i'm getting out of jail oh i'm don't worry, I'll be back in two months. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that movie.
2: You know, right. But you and I know now in long term recovery, right? Like, I believe, right? Yeah. I didn't have the tools back then. But as I grew older, right, I get sober and people are teaching me how to be a better dad. And right, I have my, my kids have been back in my life for almost 20 years now, right? For a period, I didn't see him. And, um, you know what I mean? I, I always made that promise. I'll never be like my dad, Patrick. I'll never be like my dad. But guess what? I became worse, <laughs> right? I get into my addiction and they literally could be next door, but I'm so, you know, messed up or guilty or shameful that uh-huh. I'm going to either wait till they go to school, right? Or they go to bed and I'll sneak out at night like we do when we're doing our thing. Uh-huh. And right. But I've been able to change that around. And because and, I, I wasn't the most gifted athlete, but that's one thing I love my mom for, right? I love mm-hmm. sports. And it, was, it wasn't for her, right? Because I think she knew if I don't get my kids into some type of sports, they're going to run off and go do that. That was my little brother, right? For me, yeah. I love sports, right? Baseball, mm-hmm. football. Mm-hmm. But I also knew there was those red flags in high school, right? When, hey, where's the kegger party this weekend, right? And oh, you know, yeah. everybody's going home and you're the last one going, hey, man, I'm not done yet. That's cool. Yeah. And you and you're searching for people that want to keep partying, right? Oh, yeah. I wish, you know, those those red flags back then. But you know, and and there's I'm not making up excuses, but as you know, in our journey of recovery, that's some of the stuff we went through, right? We didn't feel like we belonged, even with our own families. At least I didn't sometimes. I felt like I was like the outcast, right? Um I didn't know if I fit in. So I tried to fit in with everyone, the stoners, the jocks, you know, the whatever, right? Just so I could feel a part of something. And um, I don't know, this journey, right? And and it doesn't matter. Like you said, it doesn't matter if we have a dad or not. Some of us who are prone to addiction are going to go through it no matter what we do. And Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but here's the beauty of the thing, right? At least they got guys like you and myself out here to try to help these people. Right. That are looking for help or even the ones that not because, you know, there's those youngsters that are not looking for help. But we got to be those examples for them. Right. Right? You
0: plant seeds regardless. Yep. Plant seeds regardless. I know there's some kids that I know aren't ready, but, you know, and all I can do is is try to. uh, I never want to be a poster boy for being sober. I I never (laughs) want to be that. But uh, I do take it upon myself. To live the tradition that this is attraction, you know Absolutely. what I mean. Absolutely. And I need to lead. I need to lead a life where men who are still suffering can yeah. see that it can change. It can Absolutely. be different. Mm-hmm. We have to be
2: not the poster boy for for sobriety, right? Mm-hmm. I always say we have to be the poster guys for change. We have to show them that recovery does happen that change can happen even for people that are not in recovery right that mm-hmm. are going through whatever we right. can be their examples too like hey i saw patrick over here doing this this and this right like i said i'm not kidding when i started watching your post about your hikes like i'm just like man this dude's getting it i love it right because to me knowing who you are you're working on all areas of your being right I trying know to, yeah. you're trying to work on your mind. You're trying to work on your physical being, your spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes some hard work sometimes. Because I know you got days where you go like, I don't even want to go hiking. I just rather stay oh. on this chair and watch a football game. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I've had a, <laughs> I've had a few, I've had a few of those, right? For sure. So you know you're moving fast forward a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting because I know that. Show business, the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. is not what it always is like on TV, right? We know that there's the dark, ugly side too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So I know you've been sober a while. So is that still like something you see that's affecting the industry, right? Addiction and you know what I mean? Like,
0: I mean, to be honest, I don't really think that addiction has is more conducive to any one group of people that that's the that's the bizarre thing about addiction it hits anyone anywhere any background
3: um there, there, yeah, is, there cool.
0: are some geneticists believe it or not that are trying to pin it and you can see their little bias they're trying to pin genetics to this and the truth is it doesn't really look like if it was genetic there would be more markers there'd be more consistency in the early there. are Seems to be no rhyme or reason why it hits someone. Right. And um we don't know. And um, as far as showbiz goes, though, what what you do have are a lot of what I would consider to be problem users, problem drinkers, not necessarily chronic ad- addicts like ourselves, right, but people that are just out of control. I do see that a lot when you get a lot of money, or not even a lot of money. There there were people that were in my position that we were making a living we 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 got invited to all the fun stuff all the time we never had to pay for much you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. um we were privileged to get into things and do things and so i i do see that as a problem i do see the fact that the business as a whole show business even kids that are very well um looked after and supported it it's an unrealistic Um, life, it's, you know, it's just not reality. It's not, you know, people don't normally have these, these opportunities. And, and, and when you're in this business and even not even being famous, but just being somebody that's kind of respected and working, you're not held accountable for a lot of things. You know, people look at you differently. And, so yeah, I mean, I look back on that now and I think that's what really made me, I love comedy. I love stand-up. and I love acting and I've done a lot of acting, but I think that's what made me want to gear more towards doing mental health and addiction more full-time and doing comedy more for fun. I, I just... I, I reached a point about probably 10 years ago where the the desire to want to go back, you know, and do it full time and audition and, and and do shoots just it just wasn't for me anymore. Right. You know, I, I started a foundation called uh La- it's called Lap Big now. It was Lapaholics back in the day, where you know, we do shows for people in recovery and I enjoy that. It's 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 comedy a level where it's still fun and without all the BS. Right. you know not the politics I don't have to worry about contracts and somebody bitching because my show was one minute short or you know whatever else they want to complain about you know
3: right
0: um and I like the stability of just having a regular job where I can do things with the people that I care about so and be close to my home group that was important um be able to you know, do step work, have a normal life that I consider normal. Still able to do comedy for for fun as a hobby, right? And to make people laugh, but also to have a life that had stability and reality to it. So <laughs> that was a bar, a big part of me changing as I got sober. I think
2: right. Well, and, and you chose a field like you know. We're in the field of saving and are helping people, right? Try to get yeah. clean and sober, yeah. And 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 you know, and I know, right? It's not like the success rate is ninety five percent, you know. And it's not. <laughs> well, for us, it is, right? We're we're the we're the we're the proof of the pudding. But you well, know what po- I mean. You're right?
0: the you're you're the poster boy. here. I'm the poster boy for Chippendales. I don't know,
2: yeah. <laughs> right? Hey man, I used to see he's pretty sexy. Everybody. When you get this no, on YouTube, I'll have them put on a song <laughs> and do a dance for us. <laughs> oh, <you're funny. laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like I, I'm with you on that. Right. I love what I do. Right. And I, it, yeah. it's not only stability. Right. But it's because I truly have a passion to, because Be you so. and I know what the gutter feels like. We've been there. We can, yeah. you know, and I know you've done this a lot of time where you've shared how a client's feeling before they even open their mouth and they look mm-hmm. at you like, wow, this guy knows exactly what I'm going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's no better feeling when you know you can reach somebody on that level and go, hey, look, I know how you feel, but I'm here to help, right? I'm going to yeah. show you a different way. Um, and, you know, our job in as counselors, right, is not to to get them sober per se, right? We leave that to the rooms, and, but to guide them and show them different ways that it can be done, right? Like I teach mindfulness, sure. you know, mm-hmm. I do the groups. one-on-ones right and you know and help them get back on their feet Uh uh-huh um but i know right and and i like to use humor too and i'm not a comedian but i love to make them laugh because when they're at their lowest right it's you got to try to get them to (laughs) to laugh yourself you should see patrick everybody he's so sweet he's kissing his girlfriend's hand and winking at her and But see that's the things we get to do now that we're sober right we get to have these wonderful relationships and um you know what i mean yeah and um but like us guys that are on the front line or us counselors who are on the front line right we got to show them a lot of empathy and stuff like that if we didn't have that you think they'd stick around or they'd even want to go through treatment they'd be like patrick you may be funny but i'm out see you later right Mm Right, so our biggest job is is showing mm-hmm. up, as they say, suiting up and showing up and giving our best to show them that there's another way to live. Like, yeah. what are what are some of the things you've encountered in that process of of counseling, or yeah, yeah, oh, well. and getting sober, and yeah, the whole nine yards, the whole kipping caboodle, as they say.
0: Well, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on was <clears throat> you mentioned empathy and. The company that I'm with now, I I don't like, I don't tell people where I work, but just <laughs> exactly kind of the company, I guess. But, um, we have, um, a culture at where I work and, um, it's centered around three letters, BMU, and that stands for build me up. And, you know, I went to the Salvation Army and I, and I heard, man, you're here cause you suck. You're everything is, you know, and just, and tearing people down. I, I didn't see helping at all. I didn't need you to tell me how shitty it was. I knew already. (laughs) Um, one of the things that I encounter with anybody that's in mental health or addiction or anybody struggling to sort of find stability and, and purpose is that they're already torn down and what addicts especially are used to hearing Is they're used to hearing? I've had it with you. Get out! Oh, I'm. I'm, I've had. I. You're more than I can handle. I. I can't take you anymore. You gotta go. And to be able to just keep throwing gracious redundancy at them, and not give up. And you. You go. You keep giving them gracious redundancy. You keep trying to build them up. And, And and in an honest way, you're not kissing anybody's butt but you're you're giving them tools you're letting them know encouraging them that they can do it but you give gracious redundancy till till they're till they're out the door and Absolutely. at the very worst max at the, at the very least somebody leaves somebody acas and and sees that there's some group of people out there that didn't quit didn't tell them they were too much didn't say you know what to hell with you leave right um we we were constantly building them up until the day they left so
2: i agree Hopefully that
0: plants a seed you know
2: absolutely right that's why i watched when i watched that youtube where that guy talked that journalist talks about the opposite of addiction is connection oh yeah it changed my whole view on how to be a better counselor right instead of Uh You know, I, I figured we got sponsors and guys, old timers in AA that can do that belittling, right? If <laughs> You know right. what I mean? Like, I'll be the guy that's going to love you until the day you leave, no matter what you go through, right? I'm going to be the guy you can go to, right? Because I believe like you, because we already went through that. Like, we didn't like it. Why would we continue that, right? Like, I got told that you know, sure. you're, you're a I piece of, you know what, get out. Like, I don't want you around. I'll call the police. If you ever come near me, get out. Right. Like, mm-hmm. or, you know, you're a scumbag, right? You did this to me and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So like you said, in mental health and addiction, right. It's not about, and maybe that's why when I was sitting in jail before I got sober, right. And they were going to send me to the Phoenix house. Luckily someone whispered in my ear, Hey, Max, you know what they do? They sit you in a circle and then they belittle you and you can't do shit. So I was like, why would I want to do that? Right. I already got that one before I got here. So I told I you, the honor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go, your I honor. That. Yeah. yeah. Don't send me there, your honor. I see. Why? Because I said, well, cause I'll probably be back here with a new charge after I hit the person who told me I was a piece of shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, come on. Like, you know, you, that's, I called it, what did they call it? <laughs> um, god uh something conflict therapy i go yeah well that stuff don't work for me you know what i mean and but luckily like you i i was blessed to give my mom 14 years of my sobriety before she passed away right Mm -hmm. and 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 she thanked me two weeks before she died we were watching a show together i was it was my monday night to spend the night at her at her little um what do you call that assisted living right make sure i was Mm -hmm. taking care of mom and we're watching tv and she's like rubbing my leg and. Like what's on, Mom? What's going on? And she goes, "I just want to thank you for your 13 years of sobriety." You know, I wanted oh, to correct her, but I didn't. You know, I like I had just turned 14. I go, I go. Well, thank you for never stopping and never stopping praying for me. She goes, "Yeah, I prayed for you every day, and God answered my prayers." And then we watched the show, right? But little did I know, two weeks she'd pass, right? And that's a whole other podcast. But you know, guys like you and I that get this second, third, fourth chance. You know we got to run with it i don't know i think you believe the same way right because oh yeah (laughs) you know like you're out there getting healthy hiking and doing your thing and working in the field and right it's just it's amazing the chances that guys like us because you know there's probably times that we should have made it through we probably shouldn't even be sitting here talking to each other
0: you know max one of the things i hear you know from from people in treatment and something that i reflect on a lot is i hear the term boy life just isn't fair and you know what if life was fair i would have been dead a long time ago right that would have been the fairest thing in the world when yeah. when i look at what i did the chances i took the positions i put myself into if life was fair i wouldn't be here so thank god it's not fair
2: right like that's, uh, that's like i love that saying If I got what I deserve, God would have took me a long time ago.
0: Oh, man. You know know what I mean? Right.
2: So um, what I like to ask, right? I wrote a book. It's called Fearless Happiness. I don't know if you can see that there. right? It's about my journey uh, from addiction to recovery. So I like to ask my my guests a few questions. And the first one we're going to ask is fearless. What does fearless mean to you? And what does that look like? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis?
0: Great question. Fearless to me means I'm still fearful, but I'm not afraid to duck under the covers. I'm going to live life. A uh, great example is my huge fear of rattlesnakes. Okay, if um, fear's there, I walk with these snake gaiters on, and I'm walking on wide trails, and I'm taking little baby steps on the thin trails. I've seen about four rattlesnakes but I'm just getting through it. And to me, there, there's no such thing as being fearless in, a, in, in, in the, just the normal sense of the definition. I believe fearlessness is going through it, even though you're a little bit afraid. And as you do it, you become more and more fearless and more and more uh, having faith in yourself and having faith in a higher power having faith in the universe you start clinging to faith that i can rather than being paralyzed by fear i i think i'm always going to have a little bit of fear right but fear this just means well, fear is less i guess right
2: anyway. yeah that's how i broke it down one time it's like because you think about it like there's always something's going to scare us a little bit whether it's a little bit or a lot right oh um, yeah but we learn to fear less Right. That's why. I, right. So and then we do it anyway. Like you said, I love it. Right. I might be afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Because if you let the fear of rattlesnakes. Take over, I wouldn't be seeing these posts about you doing these killer hikes. You know what I mean? I'd be like <laughs> Patrick could be on his chair. Sorry, guys. I was thinking about a rattlesnake. I ain't going out today. See ya. <laughs>
0: you know I mean? Right. Now, if I could just overcome my fear of karaoke. Yeah. You know it's, I haven't
2: uh, got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I haven't got that fear yet. Uh, over I don't that want fear yet. We'll throw up. That's all. <laughs> it's a small <laughs> dream. That's, you know what I tell my friends? I said, look, I try to help people get sober. You have me sing karaoke. They might be drinking more than they ever had That's before. Exactly. Right. I don't want to be a trigger. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be a trigger. Absolutely not. You know what's bad about me is like I have that voice where people like
0: stop and go. Is he trying to sing? Or I'm right in the I'm right in that teeter spot where I could just go full blown comedy, or is he actually trying to sing Metallica? Like, uh... <laughs> right. and I just have this like like look like every the audience looks like they just walked into a fart
2: and trying to find out who did it. So there you go see, and I do it. They're going to remind everybody, remember that episode of Seinfeld, right? Where Elaine's trying to dance. That's him. (laughs) And they're all going to kick me out. They're all going to be like, Max, you're never allowed. You've been banned from this karaoke bar forever, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question I love to ask my my guest is happiness. Knowing Mm -hmm. I put a Y in there, Patrick. What does happiness mean to you? And how does that show up in your life? wow
0: basis. you know boy these are great questions because my i have the a very simple definition of happiness i wake up every day excited about the day i go to bed that same night happy with the day that i led i'm a human being and understand that the fifth stage of change is regression i'm a human being i'm going to go backwards i'm never not perfect so if i could wake up excited about the day and go to bed Happy with the day that I had. If I can do that five out of seven days a week, I'm pretty happy, I you know. It. And and as a result, I've got, you know, I'm coming up on time. I'm doing things that I want to do. Um, I hear a girl sitting next to me that is amazing. You know,
2: it's awesome. I uh, Hey, wonderful what? thing that sobriety does for us and and being healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Somewhat. <laughs> some, oh, did you hear that he said somewhat? Um, (laughs) somewhat, somewhat healthy, right? Love those answers. I appreciate you for those answers. I mean, they came from the heart. I can tell. But so I know I'm going to have some audience members that are going to go, "Oh, he's a counselor, or he's a comedian. How can I get his help?" If someone wanted to reach out to you, Patrick, and go, "Hey, just just reach out to you and go, I need help. I'm struggling with some addiction issues or drink, whatever. Or hey." Patrick, I love your hikes. Like, what made you start doing that? How can they get a hold of you?
0: Well, what you do is you just, you hit this light and it flashes like a shadow of a bat in the sky. (laughs) Um, I love it. I'm not that cool. I can't fit into the costume or the car. Um, Honestly, they could get me on Facebook. I, I just use, I have the same age as Patrick Laborio. You know, they could get me on Facebook, message me there. Um, I, I'm not on Instagram much, but, uh, I'm on there every once in a while, but mostly Facebook messenger, I guess, um, probably the easiest way to get hold of me if I don't know you. And and if you come to me on messenger and I, I look at my messages, I try to look at, I'm gonna get a lot of them, but I try to look through guys, especially that are looking, that have diabetes, that are looking to try and get their sugar level, you know, under control guys that are trying to lose weight, that sort of thing. They come to me a lot and then i'll be more than happy to give them my number you know okay so that's probably the best way to contact me on on something like that
3: awesome
2: Mm -hmm. awesome but you're not off the hook yet as i like to tell my guests right one last question i love to ask all my guests is what is the one piece of advice you would give my audience that will help them become you know improve as a human being become a better human Mm-hmm. And just be an overall better person, what's that one piece of advice you could give um goal setting
0: it's you know we get sober to create stability we get sober to to create a, a life of honesty first of all you know we we're we we're taught the how the honesty open mindedness willingness right that's right. what it takes and once you get to that stage, then you you start to elevate your life and the only thing I can tell everybody is envision the person that you want to be and set goals to do them. Now, a lot of people I think the problem is two things. One, they hang on the long-term goal. Oh, I want to make 150,000 a year. I want to make 250,000 a year. Okay. That's a great long-term goal, but that's just a beacon of light. And what you need to focus on are those short, small, attainable goals, those weekly goals. You know, Joe Rogan Showed me how to do the gold cards on three by five index cards. And he said, you know, I've never known a person to fail that's done these gold cards and been consistent about them. People that have done them for two years, their life has turned around. And, and here I am a couple hundred pounds and no diabetes later. Um, it, it, those works, you know, um, but it's a small attainable goals that are effort related, not, not result oriented my sponsor taught me a long time ago you know people like us aren't really in the results business we're in the effort business right you know we're in the effort business uh we live god's will and my sponsor told me that when i did 10 11 and 12 i would get a really good understanding of one two and three and he was right and i think number three were i didn't know what god's will was for me and today it means give it give it back pay it forward it means try to be a beacon of light instead of looking at the beacon of light of my long term goal i try to be the beacon of light for somebody that's suffering that says hey if 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 that guy with little 3 inch legs can do it so can i you know <laughs> um i'm always looking at my short term goals that are effort related and i just focus on that short term goal and as you knock out those short term goals what happens is you start climbing up Maslow's pyramid of hierarchy. You start meeting those bottom needs, those middle needs, and yep. then you, you're climbing your way to that top of that pyramid, which, as you know, is that self-actualization level. And that's how you build a better life. Yep. You know, you, and it's not about overpushing yourself. It isn't. It's just about being consistent. You know, I love that book, The Four Agreements. It talks about agreement number four: always do your best.
3: Right. And Excellent you know. Book.
0: There will be days when you have 40% give 40% that day. There's a lot of days when I have less than that and I just do what I can, but I'm consistently trying to elevate and it's the short term goals. that just kind of keep my focus. And I think when that happens, you start to become the person that you envision. And that's, I believe when your life really starts hitting a purpose that has some really good meaning and some, and some really good happiness.
2: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, right? Because if I did, if knowing me, if I would have focused only on the long-term goals, you and yeah. I would not be speaking now because I'd be stuck mm-hmm. on stupid basically is what I call it, right? Because oh, I yeah. wouldn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. But I had a sponsor too like yours that had me break down daily, weekly, monthly goals, right? And and just yeah. do your best every time, right? And mm-hmm. if you don't get it, okay, you, you do it for another day, right? Then you hit That's the right. next one. Um, mm-hmm right because as you and I know like we could be we don't need anybody telling us we're POS right we could be our own (laughs) worst enemy right like uh we don't need help with that like you know just look in the mirror and I'll be my you know but I I agree that you have to in order to become a better human being you got to start setting goals for yourself whether it's Mm -hmm. a a weekly exercise goal or a daily exercise goal or a monthly um you know income goal like I'm going to hit this you know what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Because what happens is I and I know you believe this too, because you've gone through it as a counselor, right? When they start achieving the goals that they hit our clients, you see their confidence level go up, right? Your yep. self-esteem goes up. Yep. I mean, you and I have been through it, right? Like right. right. You go through some hikes. I've seen your post like that was a rough one, right? But you finished it. But yeah. you felt great though, right? You finished oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know, I may want to ride back down the hill, but I made it up the hill. You know, what I mean? <laughs> sometimes I look at that kettlebell, it might be like 35 pounder, but it looks like a 100 pounder. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. I got to just do a couple sets and I'll be happy, right? And like, get a couple of those swings in. And um especially at our age, right? We're in our, you know, our young, we're 50 years young or whatever. I'm yeah. 55, <laughs> whatever, right? I don't try not to put anything on me anymore. Um, but this is, this has been a, just an amazing interview. I, and, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule, your busy schedule and doing this and sharing with my audience what's worked for you and your your challenges and how you've overcome, overcome them. Because this is why I started this podcast, right? Is in the beginning, when I first came up with the idea, it was going to be nothing but recovering addicts and alcoholics, right? Mm-hmm. But as I started doing it, right, people reached out to me, hey, can I be a guest? And I would hear their story. And I was like, dude, this guy, this just like the program, it has to be inclusive. I got to let anybody and everybody who wants to share their yeah. story, mm-hmm. right? And like I said, you're an inspiration to me when I see you on those hikes because I know they're not easy. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, folks, he doesn't just go on these little – they're mountain hikes, like elevation <laughs> And I'm tearing him on the whole time he's posting. I'm like, yeah, Patrick. But see, in that, he he inspires me to pick up that kettlebell one more time and get another rep or two in, right? Or to stay sober for one more day so that I can carry the message to someone who's still suffering, right? And connect with my friend Patrick and finally talk to him and you know, and build this connection, right? And and show people that you're not alone. So I appreciate you coming on. The show sharing your story and letting people know you're not they're not alone um so um you heard that everybody you know his fearless what that looks like happiness how you could reach him if you want to reach out and talk to him uh if you're mm-hmm. struggling uh because i know patrick's anything like me he will take the time to talk to you and make sure you if he can't he'll probably direct you in the right direction and that's just how it works and uh just follow this man he's an inspiration, everybody um so if if Patrick made you smile he made me laugh I know he made you laugh everybody if he made you think (laughs) if he taught you something if he made you go hmm right remember go to iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can find it and until next time everybody any last words Patrick for my audience yeah you know I just wanted to kind of plug a couple things if I could I just if you want to get on my
0: Facebook uh we have the hike with the Phoenix on the 29th at Peter's Canyon at eight in the morning. We're gonna meet at the trailhead. If anybody wants to go, it's free just for, it's, it's a sober hike, you know, if anybody's interested in learning how to hike. And then I'm on, I believe it's September 12th, um, I'm doing a really big fundraiser with Anthony Brown and Dr. Drew um, for uh, recovery. So that'll be fun. So uh, check that out on my Facebook page. Um, It's gonna help a lot of people, so.
2: I love it. I'll make sure that gets in the notes and that we spread the word, right? Well, awesome. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. Uh, I thank your girlfriend for letting him do this. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, hey, we'll probably do this again. Patrick, uh, I appreciate you, my friend. Love thank you for yeah. sharing
1: your story. And until next time, see you later, everybody. Are you tired of being weighed down by life's traumas and struggles? Join the fearless happiness lifestyle and let us guide you toward a brighter future. Explore past podcast episodes and get a copy of the Fearless Happiness book to ignite your inner strength. If you or someone you love is battling addiction or facing challenges related to unresolved trauma, know that we are here for you. Visit maxnates.org, M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T dot O-R-G and take the first steps toward finding your fearless happiness. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fearless Happiness.